Hi everybody, I'm Edric. I'm Joy. Welcome to Family, family Unboxed, Unbox, where we talk about everything family, from the light stuff, the fun stuff, to even the heavy and controversial stuff. Because our desire is to encourage families and see the world changed one, one family, family at, at a time. time. Hello, hello, hello everybody. Welcome to episode three of Family, family Unboxed. Unboxed. I'm with Joy, my beautiful wife again, and we have talked about some of the most important things we feel parents should know. I mean, we get asked that a lot. Like, what are the important things? How do I get started? And this desire to help families discover or unbox the family journey, the parenting journey. We've covered two already. We've talked about the power of obedience and we've talked about modeling and how this is so important, especially as we go through a lot of the things that are realities now, working from home, schooling from home, being stuck together as a family with all the protocols surrounding this pandemic. So we thought we'd talk about something related to this. Again, the whole atmosphere of, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm home, we're trying to make things work and everybody's now going online. And that's probably not an exaggeration. I had a friend who's the former country manager of Google and in one of the events he spoke at, I remember him saying, and this is before the pandemic, he said, we no longer go online, we live online. And at first I laughed because I realized, yeah, I guess more people are really going digital. But now in this pandemic, we literally schooling, commerce, banking, work, everybody is forced to do some semblance of online through home. So we want to talk about digital. We get the question a lot, right, honey? So how do I deal with my child's gadget use? How do I get them to focus on doing their schooling online? And so we thought that this would be a nice episode or a nice topic to talk about. And we have with us our son also, who will talk a little bit about his experiences in this space. So Joy, honey. Yeah, you know, I think that we need to first clarify what what it means when we talk about the digital space, because are we referring to work that's done on a computer or a laptop or a, you know, um, a smart... Mobile device, smartphone, <laughs> yeah. Or are we referring to entertainment, right? Or are we re referring to gaming or social media? So I think let's just clarify what exactly we're referring to when we talk about how we want to help families navigate the digital space. Yeah, so to, it actually covers that full spectrum, right? The, the engagement for work, so whether that be Zoom calls or StreamYards or whichever platform you use to be able to engage online. Or education for children. Or for schooling for the children, whether they're doing it online or interacting with classmates through Google Classroom, etc. So basically any interaction with the digital space. So it could even include social media use, right? Or purchasing things online. We're gonna basically talk about, in a nutshell, you know, what are the healthy ways to use digital in this time and what are the ways you can help move out of the unhealthy ways that's what we're going to talk about so again what are the healthy ways to use it what are the unhealthy ways and how do you help move out of the unhealthy ways and i'm going to put it out there already one of our greatest resources that we've used as a family honey is do you want to talk about that or we're going to ask elijah to talk about that maybe elijah want to talk, elijah talk about that but talk i also that. read a book called the cyber effect hmm. which was also very enlightening and I've done a lot of research as well because as a homeschool mom, I have to juggle, you know, my children using screen-based learning as a resource and using resources that are accessible online 
as well as, you know, can they use it for connecting with friends? Can they use it for watching entertaining videos or playing games? So these are some of the things that we have to consider as parents in, in this new normal. And generally for our family, our stand is, and it might sound, how do I say this, a little extreme, although we're not saying that everyone has to do this, but for us, we feel that our children do much better with their focus, with their attention span, with learning, when they do not use gadgets for entertainment purposes. And entertainment purposes would, re would, would be referring to for watching YouTube videos, for playing games, and for social media. Now, on the weekends, we do watch movies together as a family, or we watch Netflix series as a family on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That would be the exception. But generally, our kids are not on gadgets for entertainment purposes. Right. So, And that is the parameter we want to share. Based on the resources that we have been uh, referring to, and another one is a book by Brad Huddleston called Digital Cocaine, which is a very powerful book. To define healthy and unhealthy use of digital, we use very simple words, such as healthy use of digital would be to be producers, creators, right? As opposed to consumers, which is what Joy mentioned in the area of entertainment. There's nothing wrong with being a consumer, nothing wrong with, of course, getting a little bit of entertainment here and there because, hey, this is the new normal. Actually, this is the future of how things are, right? You get a lot of the things on demand through streaming. You can do many things and there's so much power at our fingertips, you know, where we have access to the right gadgets. So nothing wrong with consuming our entertainment. But once again, we want to ask ourselves, is it healthy. And in a, as a general guide, healthy would be using it to be producers or creators, being able to use these digital tools to be able to either develop ourselves and learn. So that's, it could be the schooling of the children or actually upskilling as adults for, you know, adding credentials, courses, knowledge, degrees, so that it will help us in the work we do, in the jobs we're in. That would be an example of producing or being creators, right? Using it for that purpose creating new knowledge, new skills, um, using digital tools to be able to do wide spectrum of things like graphic design to, you know, creating vlogs that are purposeful, blogs that are purposeful, various other things. So that would be the whole world of producing and creating versus consuming, which would be, you know, having our kids watch these YouTube videos so that they'll keep quiet and they'll behave, whether they're young kids, you know, we, we've seen the expression or heard the expression that, the tablets or gadgets like our phones have become the new modern digital pacifiers, right? And that is something we feel is clearly unhealthy. So to talk more about this and expound on some of the key principles we've learned from these resources, how do we know if, if uh, uh, we as adults or children have gone the unhealthy route, right, in, in, in digital? What are the signs and what can we do I'm gonna ask my son here to share a little bit about his own journey and use of the digital space. So say your name again, son, and your age, and then frame it for everybody. All right, so I am Elijah. I am 17 years old, and I am the eldest of my 
five siblings. I think I got that right. Five siblings. Yes. You are also a coder and programmer, so you need to share that. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah. So a little bit of his credentials, right? So in the digital space, uh, he's been able to secure an internship with one of the leading banks that went through digital transformation. And he's been able to do programming work, developing sites uh, and things of that nature for companies we have and companies we know. So he is in the digital space, which is why we thought this would be a great topic for him to speak on. So go ahead, buddy. So yes, I have not much to add on what my dad said about what I do in terms of digital. I do enjoy coding and it's been one of my hobbies and I've been able to build on that in a, on a professional, almost professional level also for some of my other ventures. How many languages can you code? Um, well, I don't think I would, I could give an exact number because there's some that I'm like not really completely proficient in, but I can understand the language the syntax some, somewhat. So maybe I could, I could name a few. My favorite currently is JavaScript. I have experience in shell scripting, in programming in Lua, in Java. I have been able to work with Java for that internship in the bank and Python, several others that I'm semi-proficient at, like PHP, Go templating, and yeah, that's that's about it. Actually. Insert dad. We are totally looking, I'm looking at him like, what is this stuff? You know, I, mean, I, sh I know I should know these things, but anyway. So son, that's your background. So, so that's my background. And yes, I've enjoyed coding for quite some time. So I'd like you to phrase- You actually started when you were nine years old. Yes, so <laughs> I started coding when I was around nine years old. And um, I've been able to build on that and enjoy it ever since. With that said, um, I'd like to talk about also what my siblings have done and, and our story of like digital use from, from the start. So ever since we've had like computers, digital devices for use in our homes, but mainly for the purpose of education. As far back as I can remember, we, mainly used our computers. We had an old stand-up desktop PC in our old house and we used that for educational use. So ever since we were familiar with it and that's also how I first got familiar with technology and all that stuff. And we did, we did occasionally use it for games and for leisure things, but that wasn't the main use, it was for education. And so for, for several years, the games that we got on our tablets, phones, were used were, were just educational games or under the label educational games. They might not have been truly educational, but for us to really play them and be allowed to use them, we would, they, they had to be educational because my dad had this criteria for the things that we did online. Before we even looked into this world of, before we were, we were able to read the book Digital Cocaine by Brad Huddleston, we had this framework that my dad had developed already from the start for usage of digital devices, which is four criteria that our family has embraced for things of any nature that we do. Does it help us grow in, number one, wisdom? Does it help us grow in, number two, stature? Number three, favor with God? And number four, favor with men? So if it doesn't fall into those any of those four categories, is it really worth our time? And we get this from a verse in the Bible, Luke 2.52, which talks about how Jesus grew. So this was our original framework for games. And we loved educational games. They were fun. There were some things that we learned from them. There were, there were many moments where we actually shared the games that we had in front of a larger audience. And 
we would have to we if we wanted to get a game, we would have to come up with a valid reason to get the game that was under one of those four categories, even to just appease our own consciences. And over the course of this time, as I look back, there were some games that weren't really educational. We got them for the sake of playing. We got them. We got these games for the sake of pure entertainment. There wasn't much we'd really learn from them. So you were you had convinced us before to download a lot of apps and games that were supposedly educational, such as Minecraft, for example, but they actually weren't. So what happened? Well, we need as as I said earlier, we needed a justification to our parents to get games. So Minecraft was one of the games that we really tried to convince our parents to get because we had tried it a few times and we thought, well, this is a fun game. And someone somewhere told us that Minecraft was educational because it allowed you to create things. There's a creative mode in Minecraft where you play, where you play and you're able to create structures and whatnot. And so that kind of falls under the category of what my dad said earlier, producers versus consumers. You can technically be a producer of creations in Minecraft, but that's kind of walking a, a razor's edge there with the terminology. So we got Minecraft and we were really getting addicted to it. And even my brother was starting to admit it to my parents that Minecraft was really just too addicting for him and he would think about it all the time. And so we got, we got rid of that on our own. Out of conviction, we realized this isn't really worth our time and it's not really educational. But those were the kind of lengths that we would go to to get games that we wanted. Those were the two loopholes that we had found. Marketing a game as educational to our parents. I know this sounds really bad, but sometimes... Mar marketing to your parents. Sometimes <laughs> we would be convinced on our own. We even thought that Minecraft was a, cre was a creative educational game until we started playing it when we realized there was nothing educational really about it. And several other games that we played also we thought were educational, but we got addicted to them and we ended up cutting off the usage. But not before there had been something done to our brains that made us addicted to them. How did you know you were addicted? How did we know we were addicted? You get addicted to something when your eyes can't stay focused on one thing anymore afterwards. Like you get this sort of mental ADHD where whatever you're trying to focus on, your brain keeps switching the channel back to the game that you just played and you can't stop thinking about it until you play it again. And after you've played it for a few hours, you feel like you want to vomit and you don't, you don't want to play anymore for a long time until the next day when you can't stop thinking about it again and it keeps going over and over. Amazing description. Okay. So when you saw that in yourselves, you decided, okay, stop, remove. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So Eden was actually the one who had the, the guts and conviction to say no to Minecraft and stop. It was actually without him. I might have not have said, admitted it on my own. So praise God for Eden. Anyway, the other loophole that I had found was through coding because coding was an educational thing for me. And it was productive, it was creating. So I would code games. I would code games that I wanted to play. I would see a game, think to myself, can I make this? I think I can. If it was within my capabilities, I would code it up. And then through the process of building the game, I would actually probably get more addicted to the game than I would if I had actually just downloaded the game and played it. So I would code games, test, there's a bug try again, edit the code, play it again. And through that process of playing, 
retrying, testing, editing the code and going over and over again. It was like a whole new game into itself. And it became this whole world of addiction for me, addiction to coding games. I didn't even think that was possible at first. And I was in denial of it actually for some time. Why don't you share what um, Brad Huddleston said were the signs of addiction that you've seen not so, in yourself back then and also in others whom you know. This coding story takes me to 2018 when my mom picked up this book called Digital Cocaine and I was immediately allergic to the title. Looking at the title and the cover of the book, I was like, this is nonsense. This guy, I'm using devi digital devices to create things. I'm a coder, I'm making games. I could actually build a business out of these games. Although, admittedly, just playing them on my own and showing them to my friends um, and creating them was so entertaining that I wouldn't have made a business because I was too distracted by it. My mom picked up this book, Digital Cocaine, and she started reading it and our family would be in the car riding together while my mom was reading this book and she would mention things out loud and then my dad started creating new policies such as this word he coined called analog time. I think it's mentioned in the book. Um, so he picked it up and this word analog time was used anytime he felt like us kids were getting on screens too much. And I hated the word analog time. <laughs> I, I totally forgot this. You're bringing it back to our memory, carry on. I hated the word analog time. Analog time meant I had to stop my coding, stop this game, whatever I was doing that I was playing. Even though I was telling myself, I feel totally fine. My brain is okay. This digital cocaine book is not true for me. So I'm fine, but I have to obey my dad. So we talked about obedience before in one of our previous episodes. And so out of the obedience for my dad, I would have to stop. Even though the feeling was awful when I had to get off my screens. And I would feel this strange, but common feeling that when you have to get off a screen, you kind of feel angry toward the person who made you stop or whatever made you stop. And once you get off, you feel a little bit dizzy, your eyes are bleary and your brain is foggy. And the only thing that comes into your mind is what you just left from the screen. And so my dad has this, a term for this. He calls it, what was it? TV, TV eyes, game, game eyes, game eyes, game eyes, where they get a glossy look over their faces and they're just staring into the distance blankly, shifting their eyes to and fro because they can't think of anything except what they've just done. So analog time. That was our policy until my mom finished the book. She described a lot of other things in there, but that was the main thing that stuck analog time for quite some time until my dad liked the book so much that he decided to actually invite the guy over. Brad Huddleston, he has decided to invite him over for one of the conferences that our homeschool was putting up. So he invited him over and there was this latent sickening dread in my heart that this guy was going to come and talk my parents into something that I never wanted to happen, which was, I had heard about it in fragments from the book, which is the complete, which I felt like was the complete abandonment of digital devices forever. And this made me, this terrified me. And so Along came the day we met with Brad Huddleston. The first thing he asked me was, are you a gamer? And I said to him, no, I'm not a gamer, which was partially true because I didn't really game like video games. I'm not like other people. I don't play Minecraft and stuff like that. But when he asked me, when he had asked me that question, I had just come from a major coding session in the car about two hours. And I had, I had that feeling again with my eyes glazed over and all that stuff. So maybe that's what he picked up from me the first time he saw me the first impression was that i, I don't was remember this i, really I remember, remember that this. you do i, don't I remember, remember that this. because you were standing beside my mom the my mom even defended me she was like no 
they, they don't play. They don't play like games. They only use it for educational purposes. So my dad hears the talk in the homeschool conference and he gets really convicted by it. And then he's asked to speak again, this time at our church. And this time I have to listen through the whole talk. And as I'm listening through the talk, he talks about things like the symptoms of digital addiction. The three symptoms of digital addictions, three A's, anger, this is, these are not my words, these are his, so that you know I'm quoting from Based him. on research. Based on research, the three symptoms of digital addiction are anger, anxiety, anxiety slash depression. So th those two go hand in hand. Anger is the feeling that I described to you earlier where once I get off the screen, I would feel angry at whoever made me stop. Or another thing that my parents observed was that they were seeing increasing cases of us fighting as siblings, especially when we were around screens, which is what triggered my dad to say analog time, analog time, because you guys are fighting. And so we would have these fights and they kept getting worse and we didn't know what was causing them because we didn't feel like there were many character issues on our part. There was just this anger that was all around. And we heard this word anger in one of the three symptoms of digital addiction. I was like, oh no, maybe that's just a coincidence. The second thing that he mentioned was anxiety slash depression. Anxiety is the feeling of FOMO that you're missing out on something. You can't stop checking your device, your phone, your messages, your social media for fear of missing out on something. Or you can't stop checking your game because you don't want to miss out on this opportunity to level up or to make money. In What's your game. That, that you talked about, that phantom vibration? <laughs> oh, I love this. Yes, phantom vibration syndrome is when you feel like your phone is vibrating in your pocket and you check it, there's no notification. It's just the anxiety in your brain playing tricks on you. So, and the third? The third symptom is the most scary symptom. It is anhedonia or what Mr. Brad likes to call non-sadness depression, where you feel depressed, not because you're sad, but because you just can't feel anything anymore. And the reason why this happens, the reason why actually all three of these symptoms happen is because of the chemical imbalance that digital devices create in your brain. And this is especially shown in the symptom of anhedonia. You get this when it's similar to the process of how drugs addict someone. Which, right, is, which why. is yeah, this is a background. This is why the book was called Digital Cocaine, because they studied uh, neuroscientists studied the mapping of uh, the brain of someone addicted on cocaine. And when they looked at the brain scans and what it looked like, they compared it now to someone who's addicted on gaming or pornography. So one of these two digital access points, and they saw that the brain scans were both damaged and almost identical. So the discovery was shocking, but it's also, you know, revealing to us that this is why it's so unhealthy when it becomes an addiction. And many of us don't think about it or don't see it. And that's why we wanted to talk about it now, right? And, and Elijah took a nice, wonderful blow by blow journey of what that looked like in his own life. So that's why it's so, so, so important to check for these symptoms. And so Elijah, carry on. So what the screens do is the overstimulation creates an imbalance in your brain similar to what cocaine does, as my dad said earlier. And this is why the author of the book entitled it Digital Cocaine, because the chemical imbalances are similar. For example, in your brain, neurotransmitter is secreted called dopamine. And it's used in many cases to transmit feelings of pleasure, of enjoyment and you get a normal level of dopamine from doing everyday things such as 
exercising, eating, being with family, playing, hugging, games, embracing, hugging, right? embracing, Touching, contact. Yeah. Those kinds of things give you a natural, healthy level of dopamine, which is good for your brain. Sports also. Sports, yeah. yes. Yeah. The thing, the feeling that you get after a good win or playing or being outdoors and just enjoying God's creation. Those all deliver natural, healthy amounts of dopamine. However, when you are on screens or as a parallel doing drugs, although not to as an extreme level of concentration, the screens create an overload of dopamine in your brain. And what this starts to do is to create an intolerance to dopamine in your brain. So basically, um, in the world, in the words of Brad Huddleston, your brain starts building a wall against this dopamine. This wall prevents too much dopamine from going into your brain. It's just because your brain is overflowing with so much dopamine that it can't handle it. It starts building an intolerance to it. And this is the sickening feeling that I felt after every coding session for two hours, three hours, four hours of screen use. Everything else seemed dull, gray, disappointing, not, not much thrill that I could get out of everyday life. But getting back on screen, every time I would go back on screen, I would have to code more, um, build something harder, more complicated, more entertaining, to get over that dopamine intolerance wall that was being built up in my brain. And this is the same thing for social media, for drug addiction. The first high is what you feel the first time, for example, the first time that I got social media. I remember the feeling. There was this rush that I felt. It was exhilarating. It was fun to get on social media, finally connect with friends. Or the first time that I played this online game. Or they like your first few likes. Like, oh, the they first like few it. Likes, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those first few likes give you a rush that builds up the dopamine wall in your brain. That's why the second time you experience the same thing, you open the app again, you play the game again, you don't get the same rush as the first time. So what you do to recover is you play to a different level. You play for a longer time. You try to beat harder and harder bosses in the game. You try to get more likes on your posts or for me, code more complicated and crazy things. And this is why people play for longer and longer sessions at a time. This is why games are designed with that in mind, that it gets exponentially harder to increase to the next level because the gratification has to be higher and higher for each stage to overcome that intolerance that's being built up in your brain. Okay. So this is the damage that he talks right. about. The damage that is comparable to drug use that you get from using a screen. And the reason why he stresses this so much is because of the problem of anhedonia, which I'm going back to now. It's because once you have built this wall in your brain, you cannot enjoy the normal healthy mm, pleasures of life Very anymore. important point. What God has in store for us that he has naturally designed for our brains to experience and enjoy, such as being outside, living in the outdoors, being with family. That's why teenagers sometimes that I will see who are addicted will want to just lock themselves up in their rooms, be on social media rather than hang out with their families because that's the only thing that's able to give them that dopamine fulfillment in their lives because everything else is being blocked out. Like an addict. Like right. I mean, it's like exactly. you're getting your fix. Okay, so Elijah, this has been very, very uh, useful and, and, and helpful. I feel like I've gone through a lecture on even the details of it. And it's amazing how you remembered it, picked up all those things. Maybe as you wrap up your time, you can talk um, about, or maybe we will talk about how we as a family were now able to Recover. apply and move us from that unhealthy place 
to the healthy place, right? So again, thank you, son, for uh, sharing all those things. We're gonna jump in now and talk about, so given those details that Elijah presented from that book and the resource we were, we were calling out, we saw how dangerous digital can be. Those three signs of addiction. So question now is, what do I do? If I see that I'm addicted or my kids are addicted, what can we do to bring us to the healthy point or restore our brains? The good news is there's hope right? And the good news is the brain can actually find a way to reset itself. It's in called the case, neuroplasticity. In the case yeah. of digital addiction. So in a nutshell, the best way to bring it back to that state is like many programs that you will hear in the health space, detox, detox, detox. That's the best way to do it. How do you undertake a detox in the era of digital? The broad advice, right? Obviously, this is broad is six weeks of no digital use. So no gadgets, screens at all. Even movies back before the pandemic was showing. For now, entertainment purposes. Right, so uh, th that is obviously extreme. Now where it can even be for producing purposes, that's the extreme, broad application, right? Now, obviously, let's make it realistic. Are there ways to still be able to recover from this without avoiding the use for producing purposes, yes. Again, we're stuck at home. We have to have our kids go online for their classes. We have to engage colleagues, bosses, etc., clients, suppliers through the online space. So yes, the first step in us undertaking a realistic detox is to reduce as much as possible. If you can do all better, all form of digital use that is not for producing or creating. Now that's gonna have to be the honest line you will ask yourself. As Elijah shared earlier, some of us will intentionally blur it in our minds because we want to be able to use it for consuming or entertainment purposes. So that's the first. Go through a six week process if you can or a six week timetable where you will avoid as much as, if not all, use of digital that is just for consumption or entertainment. You know, I'm going to just cut in here because I'm sure as people are listening to this, they're probably thinking that's just crazy. Ah, but right? wait, there's more. Yeah. So, but let's hear you, baby. Go. <laughs> but I think that as Edric talks about the need to have a period of a detox, you obviously have to replace it with something. Yep. And this is the best part of it. You know, what we realized from this detox, to be honest, it was hard for all of us because all of us in some way were addicted to our gadgets. We were addicted to screen-based entertainment. And so it was like we all went through a withdrawal period, but we did it together as a family. And that was the key. It wasn't like we were saying, kids, Stop. you have to do this, but we're still going to be on our devices. We had to do it together as a family. So for Edric and I, because we had work, we had blocks of time during the day where we would check our work or respond to messages. But we also informed people in our family and, and our friends that we were on a digital detox, so we wouldn't be able to answer our, our calls or messages right away. And we just, we, you know, we committed to do this as a family. And I remember midway through it, our third son, Titus, he said, you know, mom and dad, just randomly, he said, this is one of the best things that's happened to our family. You know, now my brothers really play with me. And he got teary-eyed. And I felt like getting teary-eyed too. You did get teary-eyed. Yeah, I probably did get teary-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> because we didn't realize that he had felt so left out so often because he's not he's not the type to really be on gadgets but his older brothers were so he didn't feel like his brothers engaged him as much until we went on that detox and they all started playing together again hanging out 
so it was real healing for our family. And even even me as a, as a mom, I had to think of ways to really hang out with the kids instead of just going on social media. Because although I do stuff for work on social media, it was also a form of entertainment for me. So what we did as a family was we started thinking, what can we do outdoors? How can we play outside? So we started doing things like gardening. We started going biking. We started exercising together. We started playing strategy board games. We started doing puzzles, singing together. We found that there's an endless number of things that you can do together as a family that help you to build relationships with one another, that allow you to use your mind in very productive ways, <laughs> in very purposeful ways. Right. And there's a whole, this of the, you know, there's a coming together as a family. And these were things that were lost when we were all on our separate devices. Like we could be in a one room together and everyone was there, but not everyone was engaging one another when we were on devices. So we really, and, and from that point, although we, we came to a point of, uh, maybe he calls it eye balance, where obviously you still have to work and do things digitally, and there are times also that screen-based entertainment has its place, but we've also instituted several periods of detox throughout the years uh, where we just say, okay, for these next two weeks or three weeks, we're not going to be on devices and we're going to just take a break. And that's been very healthy for our family. Once again, this may sound pretty extreme, but I think the point is that we need to be aware as parents, you know, what, what, what kind of addiction is going on in our homes that we may not ever have confronted or realized? What are we doing about it? How can we address it in a healthy way? And how can we do it together? Not like us telling our children, you guys are going to do this. You're addicted. We're taking your gadgets away. But now how can we do this together where we're all helping one another and all engaging one another by replacing the gadget time for entertainment with family time in productive and fun ways? That And then you know what we realized? Our kids actually preferred that at the end of the day. They still really wanted to be with us and one another. And we, we wouldn't have recognized that unless we had really done that detox. Yeah, excellent. And so, you know, the key really is to regulate. Once you've been able to undertake a detox, like any detox, what happens after that? This eye balance, this regulation, right? So we found ways to make sure that once again, we primarily use it for producing, creating versus just entertaining. So when we say regulate practical things like create time blocks where you can use it for entertainment purposes. So for us, we will watch and use screens on weekends, for example. Um, and in the day, on a day-to-day, -day, they only really use screens for producing as far as learning uh, as they go through the homeschooling uh, activities. For me, even as my, I work, I also try and regulate by doing things like I turn off all my notifications so that I'm in control of reacting and responding. And I tell the important people, if you really need to get me, call me. So I put my phone where I can hear the calls and I will pick up. And what I do is I use blocks to now check all of the different messages across the different platforms three times a day. So it's regulated. So I am in control of responding and looking versus me kind of being at the beck and call of my phone as it goes ding, 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 ding. That really creates a lot of the dangers that go into the unhealthy use. So, so regulation is key. And those are practical ways uh, and suggestions that you might want to look into or give you an idea of how to do it for your own life. Right. And I just, this is one of the reasons why I'm so happy about this podcast, Network Asia, is because this is one way for, for people to learn something and to do something productive without having 
to be looking at the screen. Fantastic point. They can just listen, right? And and the research shows that things like audiobooks or even podcasts don't create that same levels of addiction for people. So this is a great alternative, I feel. I just thought I would point that out. Fantastic. Yeah. So so that is, the in a nutshell, what we wanted to talk about in episode number three, the importance of digital and how to check whether we are using it in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. And if we're honest and we realize it's unhealthy, how do we bring it back to now a healthy balance, if you will, a healthy usage of it? So we hope that that's been helpful. Um, it has definitely transformed our family across whether they're the young kids to the old ones and has been helpful for even us adults and many people we've also worked with so thank you again for listening to family unboxed we are powered by podcast network asia and Podmetrics. we hope to catch you in episode number four